0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 447.
1: If you set a personal definition of success, as you begin to approach it, you're changed. You're changed as a person. The finish line is sort of always like creeping further away from you as you approach it.
0: What is that one thing that gets in your crawl? That problem you wish someone would solve? Well, maybe that someone is you, and maybe that problem you solve could turn into a billion-dollar business. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where each week I welcome another successful and inspiring author, and we dig into his or her latest book and their unique insights on a number of different topics. Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with Grubhub founder Mike Evans, author of a brand-new book out today called Hangry a startup journey i'll be asking mike to share about the journey to building and launching grubhub the process of developing a personal definition for success and why it's so important the goal setting lessons he learned and how he used what he discovered to grow his business again and again and plenty more just last week a number of people on my email list took advantage of a special secret hashtag i shared that got them a hundred bucks off my self-paced version of note making mastery my newest course All about helping you better collect, connect, crystallize, and create from your notes. Ensuring that all those notes you take on all that content you consume actually amounts to something. Otherwise, why bother with all of it in the first place, right? If like those folks on my email list, you'd also like $100 off Note Making Mastery. After all, you listen to the show, so why not, right? Then head on over to jeffbrown.me. That's where you can grab the course. And once you're in, message me with this secret hashtag. It's hashtag smart notes. That's hashtag smart notes. And I will refund you $100 off your purchase price. Again, it's hashtag smart notes. Just go to jeffbrown.me and there you'll find more information on note making mastery. Briefly, I'll just share that simply put, if you want to improve retention and comprehension of the content you consume for learning and growth, if you want to be the go-to person for ideas and insights when everybody else gets stuck, if you'd like to see the outputs that result from your content consumption efforts lead to new connections, well-deserved promotions and opportunities that were maybe previously out of reach for you, then your notes, your personal knowledge management system is the difference maker. Our note making mastery alumni have reported things like increased efficiency with their time, being able to capture and organize ideas and notes the first time through a book or other material, improve listening skills, leaps in their professional growth and development, more consistency in publishing content, enhanced reading retention and comprehension, becoming better conversationalists and even starting or completing their own book. If that sounds exciting to you, then one more time, go to jeffbrown.me, grab note-making mastery now, and then message me the secret hashtag that's now not so secret anymore, smartnotes, that hashtag smartnotes at jeffbrown.me. Mike Evans founded Grubhub in his spare bedroom grew it into the multi-million or multi-billion, what am I saying, multi-billion dollar online food delivery giant that is now a household name. Uh, Since leaving Grubhub, he founded Fixer.com, an on-demand handy person service focused on social impact. His new book out as of today is called Hangry, a term I'm quite familiar with because it's a state my wife often finds herself in and she lets me know about it quickly. Hangry, a startup journey. Mike Evans, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Share a bit about what you were doing before Grubhub and, and then how that idea actually evolved because it, it took some time.
1: Yeah. So um, my first job out of college, I was working as a software developer. It was fine. It was a job. You know, I didn't love it. It wasn't the worst job in the world, but I had a real strong desire to like go and do something on my own. And so it started with a hobby. I started by just creating a delivery guide that told me which restaurants delivered to my address in Chicago. That was it. That was the whole (laughs) whole first start of the thing was it was just a hobby.
0: Yeah. It's a hobby that I think you tinkered with. What was it for a year or maybe more? Was it quite a long time where it was just not really even making any money? It was just something that, that you were doing just to help yourself, right?
1: Yeah. So the the original idea behind it was um, that it's just really, it, you know, if you go all the way back to the year 2002, you can't find menus online. It's really hard to find information about delivery restaurants online. Really, the best source of information was the yellow pages. It wasn't great. And so I created a website to like replace that. And it started with just I just did my house like I didn't even there was no way to search for addresses or anything. It was literally just a delivery guide for me that I, I put in web form. And then it evolved to the whole city of Chicago, like where I went and picked up a lot of the menus. And then it was just the delivery guide. And and I put a lot of effort into picking up those menus and getting the delivery information. And it was a hobby, but I kind of had this idea. Maybe it would be something, but it was about a year. Uh, Every time I thought about making it something bigger... Um, I was just sort of living my life, like I was. I was not real motivated to do to do anything with with it in that first six months to a year, aside from just create the website. Uh,
0: and so that was the start of it. So, yeah, you had this job, as I recall, where you were making you know a six figure income, doing some coding, but most of the time at work you were twiddling your thumbs. You didn't quite have <laughs> enough to do, so there was there was plenty of time to, to to work on things like this, I guess, on your lunch hour and that sort of thing. I, I thought it was fascinating. I mean, it's it's a minor story in the book it's almost a, a, a throwaway line in the book. But to me, I think the name is one of the greatest parts about it. I mean, it's such a fantastic name, but it was like a literal, it seemed like in the book, like this one or two minute conversation where people are, you and others are going back and forth at the office on names and it just comes out almost instantly. Is that how it happened in real life or was it more complicated? Yeah. Shockingly,
1: it, it was <laughs> like this real really quick interaction. And I've tried naming businesses since, and it's never easy. It's always yeah. really, really hard to have a name, but But Grubhub literally was like a two minute conversation. I was like, yeah, it was like delivery, guide, food, place, Grubhub. Yeah, that's it. Like it was that simple. And it's funny because people either hate or love the name. Uh, but the the reality is, it's easy to remember and it's easy to build a brand around. Which I didn't know that at the time. I didn't. Mm. I wasn't thinking about building a brand. I was thinking about creating a delivery website.
0: One of the things I appreciate too, because this certainly describes me and the things that I, I, that I create. Though none of them have turned into multi-billion-dollar businesses as of yet. I do a lot of online courses and coaching and speaking and that sort of thing. And I'm I'm often creating things that I'm kind of making up as I go. I'll invite people to something that I haven't even created yet with the promise of what I will create and then creating it as I go. And as I read your story, I realized you kind of built this as you went along, flying by the seat of your pants. It seems like there's a lot to be gleaned from that experience, uh, that it's not necessary to know every step of the process. You just need to maybe commit to the next one. Is that an accurate description of your experience, sort of just committing to the next step and not worrying about what comes next?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a narrative for startups, You know, for for big venture back startups, where you go and get an MBA at like some fancy school and then you write a PowerPoint presentation about your great idea and then some VC throws you a few million dollars and then fast forward 6 months somehow you're a billionaire like i i don't think that many people actually experience that it, i don't think it's a reality for for most people and so what what actually happened in my case was i started with this thing that i was solving a problem for myself and then it, it each step sort of, as you say, it sort of made it obvious what the next step was going to be. And I don't want to make it sound like I was just sort of randomly like, oh, I fell into this. Like, I was really thoughtful about it as I went. But the reality was, like, it, it wasn't a straight path. It was it was sort of more of a drunken stumble. Like, like, I tried some things that worked, and that was great. I tried some other things that didn't work. But actually, if you're innovating, if you're creating something from nothing. A commitment to experimentation and a commitment to figuring things out and being open to learning is a critical part of of innovating something new. You, if you have a plan in your mind of how it's going to go from the start, it can't by by definition be very innovative because that's not how innovation works.
0: Good point. Good point. There's another aspect of your story that I identified with. I'm partner in a business with a with a friend of mine who's in another, another state, and oftentimes my contributions. Are, and things that I bring to the table are ideas and insights. And he spends more of his time doing the work that takes actual time to do. Whereas I can walk into a conversation and drop a knowledge bomb and walk away. You know? And I kind of have the easy part of it as far as time is concerned. And I know early in your story, you and, and, and Matt, I think it was, were kind of bumping heads because, you know, you were working 80 hour weeks and Matt had invested, but wasn't really doing anything. Can you talk about how you kind of came about? Trying to resolve some of those issues and make him see it from your perspective. Yeah, I think the answer is poorly. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> you know, I think if you if you if you read, you know, and this comes out in the book a little bit that that was a point of friction for the two mm-hmm. of us. And um, you know, I've advised a lot of startups since, and a lot of people have ideas, but but a very few, very small number actually go and act on those ideas. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that that was the situation with Matt and I. Matt did contribute a lot in terms of like actual labor, especially in the middle and. Labor Later parts of the business, but early on, it was mostly me, and so the ideas were helpful. But but yeah, there there came a point where it was like time to show up and do the work. And mm-hmm. and to his credit, Matt did do that, and so we resolved it. But I don't know that we ever really saw eye to eye on this point. And I think even to this day, <laughs> we probably, if you put us down in a room, we probably still disagree about whether the idea the action was more important. And
0: I think it's the latter. Looking back over the years you were with Grubhub, do you feel like those 80-hour weeks were necessary to, to have the success that you did, at least for a season? You know, I'm reminded of the adage, and I'm going to butcher it here, you know, entrepreneurs are the only ones willing to trade a 40-hour-a-week job for an 80-hour-a-week business. Was there just no other way for you during that time, you think? It's it's
1: hard for me to sort of like hypothetically guess what a revisionist history would look like. Sure. But I will say that there were some advantages that came out of that 80-hour week, one of which was, you know, the, the, doing that for a couple of years, one of which was um, – There were certain elements that were necessary for the business. You know, I talk about this a little bit. I geek out a little bit about this thing called a geocoder in the business where Mm -hmm. I wrote some software to turn an address into a usable piece of information so that I could actually search delivery information. And Google Maps didn't exist at the time. Mm. And so I I had a two to three year head start against a lot of other competition because I was willing to do the work to just create something that didn't exist yet. Mm. So those tools that came along later really did open up the platform for competition. But by the time that happened, I'd already signed up 5,000 restaurants. And so what really I got is I I didn't just get the, the I wasn't just first with a lot of some of these things I because there were other online ordering companies but what I had developed was sort of first best like it was the first one that really worked well mm. and so that head start you know you can sort of see that pattern follow throughout the, the subsequent years like when we had the first app on the on the app store for a food delivery website for apple you know we were in the first 100 apps mm, I didn't know that but we had 20,000 restaurants at the time we did that and, and so that Head Start really did help a lot in terms of becoming the, the largest player.
0: Mm. One realization that you share early in the book came after you experienced success. And I'm going to quote you here, for all my newfound wealth in more fundamental ways, I'm bankrupt. How were your relationships impacted by the ups and downs of, of growing a successful business? Yeah, I think that work-life balance has been really elusive for
1: me. And, uh, and it's taken me 20 years to get to a point where I think actually it's, it's in a healthy place mm. and, and relationships suffered. I, I don't, you know, I, I talk a lot in the book about the importance of being intentional with a definition of success, like a, a personal and unique definition of success. And the challenge with doing that, you know, of creating a business that really leveled the playing field for independent restaurants compared to chains. Was that that goal was in conflict with friendships and it was in conflict with my marriage and it was in conflict with are we going to have kids someday? And. And I had to make sacrifices as I went through that. And so that, that was a challenge for sure. I would say it got resolved in the sense that after the fact, I was able to spend more time
0: on some of those other things, but it was not without its own costs. The marriage thankfully survived. I just want people to know that. Yes, I'm still married. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thankful for that. You mentioned having a personal definition of success. I'm wondering if you could maybe unpack that for us a bit. What did the process of developing that definition look like for you?
1: Yeah. So this to start, you know, when I went for, first, I wanted a hobby because I was hungry. Like, so my goal was <laughs> not be hungry. Right. That was my definition of success for the business to start. It was a very small goal. Yeah. It got bigger. I had a ton of school debt. My wife went to law school. I went to I got a graduate degree from MIT. Like we had a ton of of school debt. And so my first goal for the business, when I, when I switched from being a hobby to a business was to pay off that school debt. But it was, it was later on that, that grew, you know, right around the housing crisis, when, when restaurants were really struggling, Mm -hmm. it grew into trying to make independent restaurants more successful. Right. And then, but then by the time the IPO came around, I I kind of had realized that like the businesses are huge levers for social change. And if I had known early on that I was going to care so much about this impact that the business made. I probably would have made slightly different decisions. Mm. And so then as I but one of this weird thing happened as I approached each of these goals. The book also explains my uh, it goes on to go through the bike trip because I uh, after after the IPO I rode my bike across the United States. And my goal changed during that too. And what happens is if you set a personal definition of success, as you begin to approach it, you're changed. You're changed as a person. Because if you set really hard goals for yourself, you change as you approach them. And so then your definition of success changes. So the the finish line is sort of always like creeping further away from you as you approach it. But actually, it's the growth of the process. And I'm not the first person to say this, That it's the journey and not the destination. Uh, it, it's good. It's healthy to, to be pushed and to change as you try to approach goals. Yeah. And that, and that's that's what I'm talking about in the book, about being thoughtful about what it is you're trying to accomplish.
0: And iterating on those goals were, I think, a huge part of the process of uh, helping you to grow the business again and again and again, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think it's it's the nature
1: of innovation. That you have to be willing to really have a lot of grit and work hard on things that are difficult, but you also have to be willing to quit the things that aren't working. And those two things are in direct conflict with each other. (laughs) But if you make that commitment to work hard, but then leave behind the things that aren't working, it frees you up to take more risks. It frees you up to experiment. Mm And that was true for the business, but it was also true in my life that I was experimenting with my own, with my own. Like, is this what I really want to accomplish? At the same time, the business was making sort of these experiments around food delivery or uh, takeout or you know wh- whatever the case are, how the how the food actually gets delivered. All these different things that we had to innovate on over the course of time. It just took an experimental approach.
0: And along the way, you had what's referred to as a pair of of quit slash unquit moments what's what's the story there
1: yeah so as i was getting close to the ipo as the company was getting close to the ipo you know my my goals had changed my goals were i wanted the the business to be a i really wanted to help independent restaurants and that was like my primary activity but the the goal of of a public company is to return shareholder value and mm. so uh there came a point where I, my goals and the company's goals were sort of too hard to reconcile to each other and so I decided to leave for that reason. Now, three of the board members in the in the company called me up and they made a really good case that I should stay for reasons unrelated to what I just said. Like mm. really it came down to you should celebrate getting all the way through an IPO, like just because of the fun of it and for vanity is really what the arguments came down to. And I was like, okay, I'm sold. I'll stick around for another year and do that, even though it was a real challenge for me, you know, I didn't leave because I was burnt out or tired. I, I was, I I quit because it didn't align with my goals. And then I unquit and I did spend some time really making sure that the company, you know, sort of stayed true to its roots during that time that I stayed. And so I did the same thing on the bike trip quarter, maybe a quarter of the way or a fifth of the way through the bike trip. As I was going over the Appalachian mountains on on this trip from Virginia to Oregon on my bicycle, I hurt my leg and I just wanted to be done with this ridiculous physical adventure (laughs) that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I I decided that one evening to quit. And then the next morning I unquit, which led me to (laughs) establish this rule, which is if you're doing things that are hard, there will come moments where you want to quit. Don't do it at night. Do it in the morning. Like Wait until you're rested. And if you still think it's a bad idea, then go ahead and quit. But like you don't want to leave things when you're tired and it's 7 p.m. and you just want to have a beer. Like That's not the right time to leave a business.
0: I'd love to, to have you share a bit more about that bike trip. I mean, you, you grow this company quite successfully over a dozen years. You do quit the company. You ride your bike across the country. You talked a bit about the purpose of that journey. What were what were some of the things you learned along the way from Virginia to to Oregon? Yeah, I, my my purpose when I started that trip
1: was to be present and to and to unwind a little bit. I the name of the book is Hangry because I'm. You can kind of tell in the book, I was a little bit of a cranky person as I was going through the process. And I was trying to like get back to being a little less angry. And so that was my goal as I went through the the trip. And in the first half of the trip, I definitely went through a lot of emotional ups and downs. Mm. And then I changed my goal for the second half of the trip because I met some friends. They were great. And I decided to just work on those relationships instead of worrying about being present and content. And And then ironically, I became more present and content in the second half of the trip when it wasn't my goal. But it was really great. I mean, going across the United States and seeing all of these small towns and the vibrancy of some of them and the challenges of others, it, it sort of informed a lot about what my next steps would be. And it was just really fun. It was just really fun to see the country at 10 miles per hour.
0: Now, did you have any kind of, uh, of crew with you? Or are you doing this solo? Or is there someone going along to make sure that you know, you were okay and, and all that? I was solo and I had a tent on the bike
1: and I just camp. I just camped wherever I could find a spot across the United States, which was a little crazy after a $2.6 billion IPO. Uh, And I was like, I'm going to go camping for a few months.
0: (laughs) Hey, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, Mike, not directly related to the book. Before I do that, though, anything else that I did not ask about the book that you want to make sure that people know or walk away with? Yeah, I think that this
1: idea of, uh, well, first of all, I think the book's pretty funny. But it in is. addition <laughs> to that, the point of the book, this idea that you should try things, that you should go ahead and start, that don't overthink it if you have like a big idea that you want to do. And then you can develop your plan for it or your goal as you do it, as opposed to trying to get all like the business plan just right and all the legal paperwork filed and all, all the stuff that people think that they have to do when they start a business, as opposed to go find a customer and sell them a product. Like that's actually being in business and all the other stuff can be a distraction. And so I talk a lot about the importance of starting as like 51%. I think it's 51% of the, of the total success of a business is determined by, did you start or did you not start? Everything else is 49%. Mm. And so this, this commitment to just starting and being experimental as you go can go a long way, whether you're talking about starting a business or
0: wherever you are in your career. Well, over the course of your career, I'd be curious to know. I ask this pretty much of every guest on the show. Uh, what books were impactful to you? Uh, what books do you find yourself maybe even referring other people to?
1: Yeah, I I would say I have uh, I have three. So the first one I would say is uh, Selling for Dummies. So I talk about this in the book. The idea that you know when I went and tried to sell my first few restaurants, I was just shoveling information at them. Uh, and I learned from that book that you don't do that. You, you go and you talk to the person as a person and you develop a relationship first and you find out what they need. And then you could talk about meeting their needs and then you ask for the money. And so the Selling for Dummies book sort of taught me that. The best book I think ever written for business is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by mm-hmm. Stephen Covey. And, and a lot of people have read it. It sounds like such a stuffy book. It's really not. And there's one point in there, which is start with the end in mind. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about having a unique and personal definition of success. This is not an original idea, right? Mm -hmm. I read it in Stephen Covey's book 20 years ago, and I still believe it. And I've reframed that to some degree in, in Hangry and put the personal journey into that. But that book is chock full of of really good ideas, You know, starting with the end of mind. And the other one that is in that book is understanding the difference between things that are important and things that are urgent and working on important things, but not prioritizing urgent things that are unimportant. And then the third book is um, Jim Collins, Good to Great. Strangely, there's a lot of like organizational psychology in that book Mm -hmm. that has been really helpful for me, understanding why it's hard to have organizations that are over 150 people and the kinds of things you have to do to really keep people connected in large organizations. So those are probably the three books I recommend to
0: people most frequently. I'd be curious to know if you have a particular habit, maybe a personal growth or professional growth habit that you practice that you think has been critical to your success. It could be a morning routine. Uh, maybe it's scheduling your reading. Uh, maybe it's having sort of a personal board of advisors that you get with every so often. What comes to mind when I ask that? What What's a personal habit that you think has played a large part in your success? I have like a I think I'd call it an anti habit mm. uh, but that has that I
1: do so so regularly that it's actually a habit now <laughs> which is um I try to keep most of my day unscheduled so that in the morning when I show up at work, let's say it's eight a m or nine thirty whatever time it is I finally get into work, which these days usually means rolling up to my desk in my office right because <laughs> right. in the post pandemic world we don't really go to the office yeah. and the thing I do is i is I say, okay. Here's my definition for success for myself over the course of my lifetime. This is what I'm doing right now. This is the business. This is the activity I'm working on or the, the business I'm working on and its goals right now. What activity can I do today to move that business or my life or whatever it is I'm thinking about forward mm. today? And so reevaluating the activity that I'm doing on a daily basis in context of my overarching goals. And I do it every day. And it's actually kind of an, I call it an anti-habit because I don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, right? Like if there's no, there's no, I don't know if it's, that's going to happen at 8am. I don't know if it's going to happen at 10am. I don't know when I'm going to go through that process, but I know that it's going to happen at some point tomorrow. And then I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. And I'm going to decide what's important for that day. And I think that that's critical that reevaluating your activity compared to your goals is a thing that is a, is a super healthy habit to get into, not just for work, but for life, relationships, for
0: everything. Lastly, I want to give you a chance to tell us about Fixer, what's going on there, fixer.com, and anything else you're working on that you want to make sure we, we know about.
1: Yeah, so coming out, out of the IPO and the bike ride for Grubhub, I was thinking a lot about what I was going to do next and where that end, ultimately ended up in was this new company that I'm running called Fixer. And fixer.com is a place where you can go and you find a handy person uh, that will come and and work at your home, but that person is actually they're all W two employees employed by our company that we train from scratch. The idea oh, behind wow. the business. Is that there aren't enough skilled tradespeople to do the work, and so we're going to train them ourselves, and then we're going to create a really great consumer experience in the home where you can use use your your phone as a remote control for your home. And that's different. It is a little different. It's a very complex business. It's only the results of like the 20 years of doing Grubhub that enabled me to to do this one effectively. Um, but the, but our our fixers love it. The the homeowners love it. I like run, I like running the company. So the goal is to create a gender inclusive entry path into the trades. That's really easy to access. You don't have to have an uncle or a dad that teaches you. You can learn it through our very open, very, very inviting and very inclusive uh, organization. And you get into customers' homes pretty quickly and start fixing things, which is what people really want to do. So
0: that's the idea behind the business. Well, the book again is called Hangry, A Startup Journey. His name is Mike Evans, the founder of Grubhub and now fixer.com. We'll put all the ways you can connect with uh, Mike and his content on show notes page and I encourage you to check out this book definitely filled with engaging thought-provoking stories that you're going to enjoy Mike I hope it's a huge success thanks for coming on the read to lead podcast today yeah thanks for having me I really appreciate it over at the show notes page created for this episode, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash four four seven. I've included links to each of the books that Mike recommended, as well as how to get in touch and connect with Mike online, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. One more time, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash four four seven. Don't forget you can save $100 when you grab my new course, the self-paced edition of Note Making Mastery. It's all waiting for you there right now. You can enjoy it on your own schedule, on your own time. No live meetings or cohorts to attend. It's all there waiting for you. Go to jeffbrown.me to grab it and then message me with this not-so-secret hashtag. It's hashtag smartnotes, and I'll refund you $100. Again, to find out more, Jeff Brown. Me and look for note making mastery at the bottom of the page. I'm really excited about the next few weeks as I'll be featuring books like The Bezos Blueprint, Communication Secrets of the World's Greatest Salesman, Sell Yourself: How to Create, Live, and Sell a Powerful Personal Brand, as well as Start from Joy: Trade Shame, Guilt, and Fear for a Lasting Change, a Lighter Spirit, and a More Fulfilling Life. All that and more on the way in the next few weeks right here on the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Say goodbye